Amen. All right, let's turn over in the book to the book of Luke, chapter number fifteen. Luke chapter fifteen. I'm looking at a very familiar passage for us: the the parable here of the prodigal son. Kind of the prodigal son. So, Luke chapter fifteen. We'll begin reading in verse number. Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. We'll go ahead and stop there. Of course, the rest of the passage deals with the elder son, the prodigal's brother, um, but we won't be focusing on that today. So let's go ahead and open it in a word of prayer. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for... Your word and, Lord, the great truths that we can find in it that can help us live a life that is more pleasing to you. And, Lord, I pray if there's any in here that has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, today be the day of salvation for them. And, Lord, those of us who are saved, I pray that you draw us closer to you. Uh, Let your spirit work and convict us where we need conviction. And, Lord, draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, the the account here of the prodigal son is, is a very famous one. Uh, most of us have heard um, sermons on it, probably many sermons on it, if you've been in church any length of time. And there's a good reason for it. There's a, it's a large passage, as you see from verse 11 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 32. And um, there's many things to draw from this passage. You can focus on the prodigal. You can focus on the father. You can focus on the elder son. Any combination of the three. Um, you can, uh, you can, there's great truths to draw from it. We can draw the we can see the principles of mercy, of forgiveness, of contentment, and, and others as well that we see in this passage. Luke chapter 15 has three accounts given to it, three parables, and uh, all parables are given by Christ as a response to the Pharisees. If you look in verse number two, Christ is, is sitting with 
um, as the Pharisees put it, sinners, um, the lower class of society. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And so he gives three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, you see that, verses 4 through 7. The parable of the lost coin, verses 8 through 10. And then you see the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, as it is called, um, taking up the rest of the chapter. The interpretation of this, uh, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son is, is debated. Um, some say, well, it's, it's, a, it's an account of, or we see the um, still staying with the lost soul. Um, it's a picture of someone coming to Christ for salvation. Others would say it's a picture of a, a Christian who has been away from God, who has strayed away from God and is coming back. Um, I'm not going to give the merits or, or anything like that of either side. I think both of them are extremely applicable. Um, but again, we're, we're not going to focus on that too much. Uh, but for the purpose of this sermon, I am going to look at it more from the side of a Christian drawing closer to the Father. Um, the title of this message is The Return of the Prodigal. Or you could also say keys or tips to drawing closer to God. We're going to be focusing primarily on verses 17 through 20. At the point where the prodigal, as the Bible puts it, comes to himself, makes the decision to return, and then returns. And we see verse 20 is when he returns to his father. So we're going to be looking at those verses here this morning. Again, a small section of the story, but it examines the decision-making process that must occur if a prodigal is going to return, or if we are going to draw closer to God, we're going to see things that must be in place in our life if we wish to draw closer to the Father. So let's look. We're going to look at four different... All, each verse will be one point. We're going to look at uh, the prodigal's realization, his repentance, his relinquishing, and then his resolve. Um, alliteration here with the, with the R's. But first of all, we'll look at his realization. Verse number 17. Let's read that again. Luke chapter 15, verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Of course, as we saw earlier in the passage, this, this young man had said, had told his father, I don't want to live in, under your house anymore. I want my inheritance now. Um, so the father said, all right, that's fine. Gives him his inheritance. The elder brother stays with the father, but the younger son takes his inheritance, goes into a far country, and the Bible says he just wastes his substance. We all have heard the account of the, of the young man or the young woman that had to go out, and as it's put in today's world, they had to go out and sow their wild oats. They had to, to go out and just live life for themselves. They had to discover themselves. And quite often when people discover themselves, they find themselves in the same shape that the prodigal is in that we see him in verse 17. He comes to himself. He is not even being paid for the job. Most likely he is just has a place to live. Because the Bible says no man would give unto him. At the end of verse 16, he is eating the same food that the pigs that he is keeping are eating. That's a sad, sad shape to be in. And this is where the Bible says he came to himself. And he, makes a, he has a sudden epiphany. That he is there eating with pigs. And he remembers how well fed his father's servants were. And he said, think of all the food 
my dad's servants have. They have enough to spare. And here I am, perishing with hunger. I'm eating what I can with the pigs. I'm sure we all have come to a, a different points in our life we, where we seem to awaken out of a stupor and look at our lives and we wonder, what in the world am I doing? How did I get to this point? There's a humorous, a humorous example of this is if you're familiar with, with Looney Tunes and you have the wily coyote and the roadrunner. And roadrunner, coyote's always trying to get traps for the roadrunner and one, a couple of times he, he has these rocks suspended and he's got a, a release point where it's going to just open up and fall on the roadrunner and it always happens that they open up, the rocks don't fall, roadrunner goes by and so the coyote goes over and he starts a, a, a rod or a staff and starts chipping away at the rocks as he's right underneath it. And then he comes up aside, he's like, what am I doing? And then all the rocks fall on him. And uh, it's a humorous example, we've all been there, where we realize doom is about to fall on us, or it has fallen on us, and we're like, what are we doing? How did we get to this point? This is where the prodigal son is. He went from a very wealthy, from a, a, a high station, his father is a very wealthy man, has a lot of money. When he gets his inheritance, and he goes and he wastes it all. And so he, now he finds himself no longer in a position of wealth or even respectability. He's eating with pigs. Doesn't get any lower than that. Too often our life has to get to a point like that before we re- come to this realization. That it is better to serve our father than to be our own master. It's better to serve God than to be in charge of our life. But this is the realization that everyone must come to if they wish to draw closer to the Father. If we think better when we are the ones in charge, we will never draw close to the Father. We'll always think that we know better than the Father, than God Himself. So the prodigal son is now thinking, he's not thinking about his lost life even. He's thinking about someone else's life, the servants. He's like, they have it off. Then I, yes, they have to obey their master's will. They have to be in submission to their father. And no, they haven't gone out and seen the world like he has. But because of those two things, they are well fed. Because they're submitted to the father and they stay close to the father. The prophet either submitted and he did not stay close. And because of that, he finds himself in this deplorable position. And again, spiritually, we must arrive at the same conclusion. That it is better for us to serve the Father than to rule ourselves. Better to give our lives over to the Father's will than to make our own way in life. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Moses came to this realization as well. Book of Hebrews chapter 11. Again, if you're familiar with the account of Moses, of course he was born. At, well, I'll just go ahead and read it. It briefly uh, recounts it here in our passage. 11, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, but he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses, when he came to years, he said, it's better for me to serve God. Reject the pleasures, the luxury of Pharaoh's court. Go in, suffer affliction with the Israelites. It's better for me to do that. To live out the pleasures that the world can give. Approach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures that Egypt had. He said, it's better for me to serve God, even if it means suffering affliction, than it is for me to live my own life, to be a prince of Egypt. Paul also had to come to this realization when he said, all that was gained unto me, I counted loss for Christ. When Christ met him on the road to Damascus, Paul had the choice. He could have said, no, I am going to reject you, and I'm going to live a life of Respect among my peers. One of the brightest minds of his day. Especially, he could have said, no, I'm going to reject Christ and I'm going to rule my own life. I'm going to live a life of prosperity, a life of prestige. But he did not make that decision. He said, everything that was gained to me before, everything that I thought was profitable, that was beneficial to me, I counted it but lost for Christ so that I could live my life for Christ. What did that lead him to? Shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, ended up giving his life for Christ. But he said it's so worth it. He came to the realization it is better to serve the Father, to serve God, to live his own life. For this world or for ourselves, we'll lose it. But if we lose our life for Christ, the Bible promises that we will find it. We will have a meaningful life. Those who live for themselves end up so empty at the end of, end of their life. We can think of the different men, famous men or women that have committed suicide. Robin Williams is one of the most famous examples of this. Um, a man who was, he had reached, he had done it all. Reached the pinnacle of his, of his profession. And he commits suicide. There was nothing there. Because he was living his life for himself for the wrong reasons. He wasn't living his life for God. So the prodigal son comes to this realization. It is better to be a servant of my father than to be my own master. And it is a realization we all must come to if we wish to draw closer to God. Next, we see his repentance, verse 18 there, back to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, verse 18. So he's come to the realization, and now he makes a decision. I will arise... And go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before 
deed. We see a perfect example of repentance in this passage. Good definition of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. And you see here, this is exactly what the prodigal son does. He has a change of mind. I'm going to go back to my father. The one who I told I didn't want who I told him I don't want to stay in your house anymore. Give me what I have and I'm going to leave. I'm going back to him. It's quite a change of mind. And it's going to result in a change of action. Some people arrive at the realization that it's better to serve God than to serve than to rule over themselves. But they never take the next step of repentance. Just because you realize it's better to serve God than to, than to rule over yourself doesn't mean you'll take the next step. Why is this? Could be several reasons. One reason I think is sometimes bitterness or envy. Some people see that others are, are being blessed by God while they're being chastised. While they're living a life that's falling apart. But instead of changing their life, instead of repenting and drawing closer to the Father, they become bitter that God is not blessing them. Why is God blessing them and not me? I'm smarter. I'm I'm better looking. I had more going for me. But God blessed them instead of me. And so they never repent to turn back to the Father. King Saul would be a good example of this. After David was anointed to be the next king... Saul could have acknowledged David's blessed by God. Matter of fact, he did acknowledge that David was more righteous than he was. He knew David was right with God. And that he himself was not. But did he ever change? Did he ever repent? He did not. He was bitter. He was envious. He lived the rest of his days trying to hunt down David and kill him. Of course, we know he all... He he died in in battle against the Philistines. But Saul could have had the same spirit as his son, Jonathan. Who helped David every chance he get. Even though Jonathan was next in line for the throne. If Saul remains on the throne, Jonathan is the heir. He could have had the same attitude that his father had. David's trying to take what's mine. But he didn't. He said, no, David's the next rightful king. I'm going to help him whenever I can. That's exactly what Jonathan did. Saul could have done that. But he grew too bitter. He realized what David had, that God was blessing David, but he would not repent. Bitterness or envy sometimes keeps people from repenting. Also despair, I think, will sometimes keep that. People realize the bad shape they're in, where their own actions, their own decisions have brought them to, to, the, to eating with the pigs, dwelling with the pigs. They realize they've ruined their life. It would have been far better to stay with the Father. But they think they've strayed too far. They've gone too far from God. God will never accept me back. Despair will sometimes keep people from going back to God. I think, I wonder if if Samson was at this point. When he was captured by the Philistines, they blinded him. And his only prayer when he got the chance was, Lord, avenge me of mine enemies. I think maybe he had said, man, I've, I've broken all, the, all my vows to God that caused me to be blessed by God. I can't return. I've gone too far 
My best option is just to kill as many Philistines as I can in my death. Despair had crept into Samson's life. And maybe someone here is at that point. That they think, I've gone too far away from God. Let me offer some encouragement. I'm going to read a a verse out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 18. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But it says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We all know, we're all very familiar with snow here in Alaska. And how scarlet, something that is red, isn't covered too well by something that is white. I had transmission uh, leaking uh, a few weeks ago. And that transmission fluid, of course, being red, drifts right through, and it's very plain to see on the snow and ice. But the Bible says, if you come to me, it doesn't matter where you are. He doesn't make any... Any requirements say you, you have to have gone only so far away from me. Uh, if you've gone too far, I'm not going to cover your sins and make them white as snow. It says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how far you've strayed from God. His mercy is everlasting. He is still longing for the return of the prodigal. He's still wanting that. But we have to make the decision. We have to repent. Get over the despair that we are not good enough. We can never be good enough. We're just too bad for God's forgiveness to cover. That's the mindset the devil wants us to have. To keep us in bondage more and more. All throughout God's word you see his mercy pleading with those who are far gone. Come back. Repent. And I will forgive. But we have to make the decision to repent. Don't let despair, don't let bitterness hold you back from drawing closer to the Father. The prodigal made the decision, I'm going to go back to my Father. And in that process, we see the next point here back in Luke chapter 15. We see verse 19 he relinquished. It says, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. This is a tough one. Extremely, extremely crucial, and it requires a lot of humility. We must surrender what we feel is our rights and trust that the Father knows what we need. He was, the, he was one of the heirs. He was the father's son. But in his return, he said, I'm going to relinquish that right. All I want to be is a servant. All I want to be is a father. I'm not going to ask for a special station. I'm not going to ask for some some unique privilege. I just want to be a servant. I want to relinquish what I was born with so that I can serve the father. Many people try to return to God while still holding on to parts of their life. They're not willing to relinquish that part of their life or an area of their life. They want to return to God, but they're not going to let God have that 
part. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, a few pages back. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, we see a few men who said they were willing to follow, but they had something else holding them back. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have old holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me to go and uh, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home in my, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. These three men here they said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first do something else. They weren't relinquishing all of their life. They had something else they wanted to do first. And all of these seem pretty, uh, pretty reasonable requests to the human mind. We'll always come up with reasonable excuses. We don't come up with unreasonable ones. We're very good at coming up with a reasonable excuse why we can't serve God. Why we can't draw closer to God. Oh, I can't, I can't go to church because I work late the night before. I work until midnight and I just, it would, I have to get my sleep. Sleep's very important for my house, so I gotta got get my sleep. We're very good at coming up with reasonable excuses. So oftentimes we say, God can have all of my life except for this point. It's an arrangement that the flesh finds very acceptable. The devil is okay if we give most of our life to God. As long as we give some of it to him. Some of it to ourselves. But God says, no, you need to give all of it. If you want to draw close to me, you need to relinquish those things that's keeping you back. This is what the prodigal son did. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to relinquish the privilege that I was born with. And I'm going to just want to be a servant of the Father. Of course, we see the Father's grace and mercy when he does return. He says, put the ring on his, on his finger. He is my son. I'm not going to put him with my servants. But we see the attitude, the willingness of the prodigal was there. I just want to be a servant. I don't want, I'm not going to make a demand on God for my repentance, for my coming back to him. And how many times do we try to bargain with God for our repentance? I'll surrender my life to you, but you can't call me into missions. I don't want to be a missionary. I'll surrender my life to you, but I always have to have a, as long as you let me have a, a good paying job. We must relinquish, just as the, as the prodigal son did, everything to return to God, to draw close to the Father. So he had the realization, he repented, he relinquished his rights. And then verse 20, we'll see the last point, his resolve. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
I want to focus primarily on that first phrase, and he arose and came to his father. This last step in the prodigal's return was the one that took the most time. Everything else was in the mind, was in the heart. Decisions made in, in an instant of time. But the return back, that would have taken quite a while. Remember, he went to a far country. There's no airplanes back then. He can't hop on a 737 and be back in a couple hours. This action that he took in returning is a result of the previous steps. But on his return, there was ample opportunity for him to stop, to give up on returning. Think of the difficulty of traveling through a, a land that is devastated by famine. It's hard enough when you're staying in one place, you know where you can stay. Traveling across a famine-devastated land would be extremely, extremely difficult. You don't know anybody. Trying to find somebody, you don't have any friends that you can say, hey, can I have a meal I haven't eaten in three days? Nothing like that. Long hours of just walking. Nobody around him, no radio to turn on to take, off his, to take his thoughts somewhere else. Just his thoughts to keep him company. And how many times did those thoughts assail him on those many days that it took him to get home? What are you doing this for? They're just going to laugh at you. They're just going to look down on you when you return. They may not, your father may not even let you into his house. I, I personally think he knew his father well enough that he was trusting in his father. But all these thoughts would have been hitting his mind hour after hour of walking and walking and walking. Maybe the pleasures of sin once again enticing him to turn aside. Think of all, how much fun you had. Now you're going to go back to that old stick in the mud. He's not going to let you do anything fun. This is just, this, this famine will pass soon enough and then you get back to your glory days and, and living a life large. Of course, the thought of that he could escape the shame of admitting he was wrong, that would pull greatly on us. We never like to admit that we've done wrong. So when you've got that much time to think about it, man, that would be quite the temptation. But none of these allurements changed his resolve. He returned all the way back to his father. How often have we decided to return to God, to draw close to God, only to be turned aside by a temptation or by an offense? Think about who he's returning to. His father, obviously, I think he, he knew enough of his father. He was trusting his father. But the elder brother is there. We all know our brothers. He knows how his brother's going to look on him when he comes back. He knows his brother's going to be pretty resentful. Can't believe my father is letting this rebel back into his house. He knew his, he knew his brother. And how many times do we let someone else's attitude stop us from drawing closer to God? Again, think of how many hours he had to walk and he's thinking, man, what's my brother going to say? How is he going to act? I don't want to face him. He's just going to look down his nose at me. He knew his brother. But this coming offense did not deter him. Does it deter us? An offense, whether real or imagined, is it going to impact our relationship with God? Is it going to keep us from drawing closer to God? 
And last thing with the prodigal's resolve here, his return brought him all the way back to his father's house. He did not stop at some point and say, well, I'm closer to my father than I was before. I've done that in my life. You make the decision, you know, God works on your heart, a particular service, you're like, I've got to get closer to God. And so you start that process, you start that journey, and then little ways into it, you know what, I'm like, I'm closer to God than I was back then. I think this is good. Start getting complacent. I'm closer to God now. I'm in better shape than I was back then. I think this is good. It's hard walking. It's hard drawing closer to the Father. But we must go all the way back. What blessings would have been missed by the prodigal had he stopped halfway on his journey, three quarters of the way on his journey? He would not have had the father's robe put on him. He would not have had the ring placed on his finger. He would not have had his father throw his arms around him and hug and kiss him and weep. He could have stopped. But he kept going. His resolve kept him all the way through. We need to have that resolve in place. We can make the decision in an instant to return. But we need to have that resolve to keep pressing onward. Keep drawing closer to the Father. So as we close here, the principles that we see in the return of the prodigal son must be involved in every return to the Father. In every effort to draw closer to God. We have to realize it's better for us to be a servant of God than to rule our own lives. We have to repent. Say, the way I've lived my life is wrong. And turn back and we have to relinquish our rights. Say, I'll, I'll serve God. We can't say I'll serve God as long as I have a position in church. As long as the pastor makes me a deacon. No, we have to relinquish anything. Just to be a servant of the Father. Just to draw closer to the Father. And that resolve has to be in place. What I find amazing, and this is why you see the two interpretations of this passage. Is that these principles are also necessary. Or very practical in accepting Christ as your Savior. That moment of salvation must contain a realization of your condition. John 3 verse 36 says that if we are without Christ, the wrath of God abides on us. That we are in standing in judgment before God and we are under His condemnation. If we pass off this life, never putting our faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ for our salvation, when we stand before God, He will find us guilty and will cast us into a lake of fire. That realization has to be in place for salvation to occur. There must be a repentance, acknowledging our sin, a relinquishing of anything we've been trusting in for salvation. Say, well, I've been living a good life. That's not salvation. We must relinquish that and put our faith and trust completely in the Father. The only difference is the resolve is going to be a one-time thing with salvation. Salvation is not something that's earned over, over a time period. It is a one-time thing. The resolve that is in place is the faith, putting all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Saying, I'm not trusting in anything else to save me from God's judgment. I'm just trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ is what is required for salvation. If you are away from God 
right now. Whether a prodigal son, you're saved and you've just been living your own life, or if you've never been saved. I urge you to follow the prodigal's example this morning. Realize your condition. Repent. Relinquish your rights. Or relinquish what you've been trusting in. And then resolve to draw closer to the Father. Let's have every head bowed and every